One of my favorite topics is the future of operations because it's on the rise as a function and a concept. Founders are obsessed with scale and the company-wide platform and glue that comes from a strong operations effort is pivotal to that scale. As a result, my hunch is that operations, both in terms of roles with that title, as well as people more broadly who identify as systems thinkers, is growing as a percentage of headcount. And that means there are abundant career opportunities in this area. One of those career opportunities is to develop a no-code skill set. Phil Lakin has built a vibrant community of no-code builders and more recently started a company called Switchboard that seeks to provide infrastructure for that community. In this conversation, Phil shares thought-provoking ideas about a few topics, including given the maturation of the no-code space beyond a community of mere tinkerers, what career paths now exist? What are the best-of-breed products in the no-code stack? And what does the no-code space look like five years from now? I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and feel free to reach out with any ideas or feedback for either Phil or me. Let's dive in. Phil, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. You are definitely, um, I think, an intellectual thinker when it comes to the no-code world. I think you have a lot of interesting theses about the direction of that community, and I'm excited to dive into them with you today. I am super jazzed to be here. Yeah, pumped. To start off, tell me, what are the two or three biggest trends you're observing in the no-code community right now? No-code is definitely a term that uh, has grown in size and scope, and it's been around for a long time in one form or another. I've worked from Excel to WYSIWYG to building with you know Squarespace and Weebly and Wix, and now all the way to like applications and workflows and dashboards. And so the big trends that I'm for sure seeing right now are, one, folks are moving away from using one platform across an entire company to do no-code for something internally or even externally. They're using multiple platforms. So a best of breeds working together. So just like developers, you know, use multiple tools to accomplish a big goal. Now no-coders are starting to, are more and more getting comfortable with using multiple tools to accomplish a goal across different departments. This has been happening for a while in terms of product-led growth, but tools are starting with teams and then making their way into companies. So what I see a lot in the no-code world, I've seen a lot of, I've seen even more of over time is that uh, one team at a company, like say marketing, like the marketing ops person on the marketing team will start using a tool. And then someone on sales will go, whoa, how did you guys accomplish that? And then uh, they'll want to start using the tool. So I definitely see a lot of like product-led growth landing and expanding within the space. I'm also seeing more folks thinking about how much further the envelope can be pushed with no code beyond just, you know, I know there's a lot of talk in no code around building your first product with no code or building your, you know, your MVP or, you know, things like that, like external customer facing elements. But I'm seeing more folks think about how do we make long, you know, long-term investments in no code? How do we make no code go beyond just prototyping? How do we make it the thing that we rely on that can move the speed of business and actually stay there for operators and not ever get moved to code? So yeah, those are some of the bigger trends. You mentioned in particular that you're often seeing no code solutions spread across companies from function to function. Where do you notice no code skills being concentrated within most companies? Are there particular functions where you're seeing those skills the most? 
Yeah, it's funny because a lot of the roles we find when we talk to companies from, you know, at Switchboard, it's a lot of operations roles. So sales operations, marketing operations, people operations. It's funny, my wife works in people operations at a company called Guru and like, you know, every now and then over dinner, we're talking about Zapier, right? So like a lot of folks in these roles are already no coders at heart, a lot of them just don't even know it yet. They don't even know there's like a community or a term or like a set of tools beyond like the one or two tools they used to just fix the initial problem they needed to fix without developer support or little developer support. But typically it's the operations function within these non-technical departments. But if the team is really small, sometimes we'll see like an IC or a manager of those departments, like a director of CX come in and just fix something with no code. Do you think that these ops functions where no code expertise is concentrated will continue to report into these individual business functions like marketing and sales and even people? Or do you think ops functions will kind of congregate over time into a separate independent ops function that then serves the functions? Oh, I've got some hot takes on this one. <laughs> Love it. I, this is a hotly debated topic. So tell me your take. So there's a push and pull on that front. On one side, it is good that the functions get to do this type of work themselves because the whole reason that these, you know, marketing ops roles, sales ops roles that they, they got verticalized into these different areas is because these functions were tired of waiting on a centralized function that they were then prioritizing against everybody else's needs. Whether that was like development time, BI time, data time, like they just wanted to have their own person, their own MacGyver to figure out how to do a thing. They wanted someone to figure out how to get data from a web form into the Airtable and maintain it. So I don't see a full transition that there's just like a no-code operator at a company who is just doing all the no-code ops for every single department. But I do see, and I'll see it in certain cases, but for the most part, what I would love to see as things evolve, and I think we're starting to see this, there's another term like called citizen development, right? There's essentially three roles in the no-coder world, right? There's like the end user, the like contributor, the builder. Actually, sorry, I'd say there's like a fourth, which is the enabler. And I think what I would like to see in the future of all of this is that if there's anything central, it's actually the enabler. So the person that's helping choose the right tools, helping set up the guardrails, interfacing with IT as needed, interfacing with devs as needed, but clearing the path for people to be as flexible in those departments with those tools as possible. So I still think there will be functions like marketing ops, sales ops, where a part of the job will be no-code operations. But ideally, there's one or two folks sitting at, you know, in a centralized capacity who maybe report up to IT or maybe a report to the devs where their job is like, cool, our job is like to translate and make sure that the, the policies are met and everything's, you know, in place, um, that we're not duplicating work across different departments, that all the tools are security compliant. But at the end of the day, they are not the ones building things because you always want to keep the builders closest to the problem. That's like the promise of no code. And you just don't want to lose that in centrality. Super interesting. Can you describe the other roles within no code that you mentioned and, and define them in a little bit more detail? So you have the users who are like the end users. I come from a very specific lens in that like I think about no-code users as internal users a lot. So the other employees at the company, as opposed to just like building uh, like a marketplace on no-code that end users are using who are your customers. But in that world, your end users would be customers. But the ones that I think about a lot from operations perspective are your internal users. And the reason I call them also users is because you have to treat them like that when you're building no code. You know, a lot of times people just like 
will want to throw things together and build them super fast for folks internally and not treat them like users, like do user research and like do usability testing. And those things are really, really important for internal people if this is going to be a large part of their day-to-day job. So those are the end users. The contributors, like one step above that where it's like, you know, you open up some permissions to someone to customize their own settings or own workflows within a very guardrailed environment. So for instance, give an example, like at Compass, when we had a no-code system called Endborder running our onboarding for our real estate agents across the U.S., we would give managers in certain locales abilities to like change some of the things in their region that went out to their agents. So they would have the ability to do that without needing to involve us. Then you have your builders. So that's like your architect. They're taking like the problems, they're identifying them. Uh, they're architecting the solution. They're working cross-functionally to build it, deploy it, manage it, maintain it. So they're like part product manager, part developer. And then down the road, I think uh, what we'll see more and more of is that enabler function, that head of citizen development or that no-code program manager whose sole job it is to just remove obstacles from both sides of no-code because sometimes no-code moves so fast that it can be its detriment. So, you know, to slow it down a bit, but to keep it on the rails, to set up the right environment, to interface with IT and security and devs and all that stuff. So those are the different roles from my perspective. I'd love to double down on this tangent a little bit, which you kind of opened up about the challenges that no-code folks often face within their companies. And and you mentioned, you know, the rise of this enablement function or enabler role that allows no-code experts to flourish and be more productive. If I were to ask you, what are the other primary challenges that no-code folks are encountering within their organizations? What would you bring up? Some of this is like directly what we're thinking about at Switchboard, which Part of it is this version, this evolution of no-code is still so new that this like let's use multiple tools to solve a problem and use best of breeds and use some kind of database, some kind of integrator, some kind of vertical SaaS and mix it all together and give us like a very, like a very complex and robust solution. I think what gets left out a lot is that just because it's no-code and just because it was easier or faster to set up doesn't mean that it brings about, it doesn't bring about some of the same challenges that code does, which is it needs documentation. It needs maintenance. It needs some of these things that like the world of DevOps had for years and years and years. And I think that's because no code is starting to go through this maturity phase where it's moving from tinkerer and experimenter, right? Into like, no, this is core infrastructure. So some of the issues that I see in relation to that are there's a big tool sprawl, right? So there's everyone wants to use like a lot of different tools. So keeping control of that, I think, is one thing. Uh, governance, permissioning, documentation. These are all areas that cross tool are still very, uh, there's very little definition to. We started at Switchboard like with monitoring because we saw that you can't rely on things that you can't monitor super well. And so we wanted to build monitoring as a starting place, but we think that the world of no-code has to mature to the point where there could be a level of infrastructure over all of this stuff. I also think another critical thing outside of just the tooling and the infrastructure side is education. Oftentimes, a company will actually have a lot of the tools they need to solve a problem and not even know it. And people just like want to go out and find the new and shiny thing. And it's like unbelievable what you can solve with current resources if you just do a little bit more digging. I think that knowing that innovation needs both like education and constraints in order to really flourish, being really cognizant and aware and intentional with that when you're developing like sys automation or system developer or no good program 
really, really, really important. And then, yeah, and then I'll just throw out like, I think security is always like a thing with bigger companies as well. Making sure that the right data is going in the right pipes, that, you know, compliant data is not going into places it shouldn't be. So if I were to sum all of that up in like one thing, it would be the speed and agility and flexibility of no code is a double-edged sword today. And the goal over time is the market matures is to dull one of those edges of the sword so that it can move really fast, but that doesn't come back and get you at the end either. Thinking about the maturation of no code, you know, usually in industries like this, you start to see real career paths develop for people. It's no longer, as you said, just the sort of tinkerers or early visionaries that are using it. There's people who are shaping their professions based on their skill set in this area. So I'm curious to know, nowadays, who are the people that are going into no code? What backgrounds are they coming from? For example, if I'm a founder looking to recruit a no code expert, where would I look? And how are you seeing their career paths evolve over time? More and more no code operators come about every day, multiple different ways into it. Some folks started to found or build company no code and saw the power and were like, wow, I actually want to go work somewhere and be an entrepreneur and do this. But the biggest, the biggest entrance I see into the no-code operations world is typically someone who worked in CX, sales, marketing, or people, started leaning a little bit into systems, learned that they could do way more than they thought was possible with the right tool set, started doing that, then started getting relied on to do that. They got promoted because they did that, and now they want to learn even more. That is the path. So that's why I'm like such a, I'm so long on this thing is because you could take someone who has had, like, when I started, it take for me, for example, when I started in tech, I didn't go to calendar events. Like, I was a right? And all of a sudden, it became, like, the single point of accountability for, like, this, like, I get, like, this like, major onboarding program that onboarded over 25,000 drivers compliantly through, like, a front-end and back-end application. And that was all because that I started tinkering with no code and started pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And so that's the main course that I see into it is working at some type of company that has these types of needs in some type of non-technical role. And all of a sudden, if the company's growing, they're going to need someone to specialize in the systems that you've now built and have become critical. So, and then you'll probably work across multiple units to do business units to do that. I think if people want to find these types of folks, one, like we have a job board, the community that we run, No Code Ops, like we literally have a job board, nocodeops.com, where we post roles like this and we share them through the newsletter. OnDeck has a great program of no-code operations and no-code founders like ODNC. I was in like the first cohort of them. KP leads it. It's phenomenal. They have demo days that are just mind-blowing. We're working on a cohort-based course as well, just specifically for operations professionals and partnership of the Project Management Institute, which is really exciting. So tons of different ways to find these folks. And the other thing I'll say is uh, there's also a career path on this front for people that want to stay external to companies and just work as a consultant or an agency. You want an example? Just go to like Zapier's expert page and see how many people built their entire careers, making like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, building automations and maintaining them for companies. That's really inspirational. One of the questions I get a lot from operations folks is there's so many products out there that I could be learning right now. How do I choose which ones to work with? And I think I would add to that, how do I choose between no code versus learning other SaaS applications? Or is that a choice? How should I think about, am I a no code person? Am I not a no code person? And generally what I should be learning right now? I see no code as a spectrum. There's like hardcore vertical SaaS. So like 
you know, your CRMs, your help desks, your, where it's like SaaS built for a specific purpose, the less specific and the more custom it gets, that's like the more ranges into no code. And there's parts of those platforms like HubSpot's got its own automation platform. Like that is no code. So it's a spectrum for sure. So that's area one. Area two is it doesn't matter really where you start. <laughs> that's the funny thing about no code. It genuinely doesn't matter because our job is no code operations professionals is to find the best tool for the job. And sometimes the only way to do that is just to go in and, and mess it up offline a few times. How far can I get with this? How much of the solution can I do here? And it's a lot of experimentation. Like when I built that onboarding application to get, I mean, that thing went through six, seven different iterations of like different sets of tools before it finally landed where it was to the point where we could onboard a driver offline in 20 minutes, sync the iPad later and the next day they'd be driving for us compliantly. Like that took six months of experimentation to get to. So it's just making it work and then making it better is the whole theme. So a lot of us know coders have on Twitter. So like, you'd be so surprised that you didn't just ask like, Hey, if I were to want to build something like this, like how would I build it? <laughs> the community's super supportive in that way, but it's less about choosing the right tools and just about starting, figuring out where the walls are and determining, do I need to add more to this or should I just switch things completely? Because there's a lot of Venn diagrams going on where this tool does this really well and this not so well and this pretty good, right? Like you make those decisions over time, but it's a lot of experimentation. And what's great is you can learn them really fast. So <laughs> yeah. What are the most popular products in the no-code stack? Maybe a slightly related question would be, if I want to develop a best-in-class stack with, you know, as you said, the, all the best-in-breed solutions for different pain points, what comprises that stack? I think of no-code in a few different buckets when it comes to internal operations. I think of it as like, uh, like if you have vertical SaaS, you have your data, you have like your automations and workflows. Maybe you also have like your front-end-ish applications. And so the way I think about it is for the data side, Airtable is like, of course, best of breed. It's like a spreadsheet meets a database. So you can really learn database structure through it. It's pretty phenomenal. Um, and you can rely on it up to a certain extent as a database. So you can access it from different places. And it's like a, the interface of a spreadsheet. So people can really just get super hands-on with it. From an automations and workflow perspective, I think the tools out there for like if-then statements, like Zapier is like number one on that front in terms of ease of use and how many applications supports for different vertical use cases and maybe for enterprise use cases. You're looking at tools like Make, Tray, Workato on that front. And then if you're also thinking about syncing data between tools, which none of those tools do, a lot of those tools are if something happens in one place, then do something else in another place. Syncing is like Polytomics and Kari, WhaleSync. They're all thinking about how do you keep data in sync between different places, especially as like a decentralized org. So think about those tools a lot. And then applications, like straight up building applications from no code, like internal applications, front end, back end, everything. Um, so like what bubble is for external, like building for customers. I love tools like Drona, HQ, Betty Blocks, Kissflow. And then there's one on the orchestration front that I think is really powerful too, which is like moving data between places, but with a lot more human in the loop syncing, which is Tonkin. Taking basically all of those, one or two each category and mixing them with some vertical SaaS, use some real powerful solutions that people can customize. I think a lot of folks who are looking to get into the space as experts will find that list very helpful. Oh, yeah. What's amazing is 
if you learn some of those tools really well and teach yourself a lot through YouTube and through join different communities and newsletters, man, yeah, you immediately become very valuable as an expert to companies. Switching gears a bit, what inspired you to build Switchboard? And can you tell the audience a little bit about what it is and what you're focused on? Our core thesis, right, is that infrastructure is the big missing piece uh, for these no-code tools to really enable business users to solve these problems at scale uh, internally. And so what we started to build was the first kind of product of monitoring. So we wanted to make sure that if you're relying on tools like Integromat, now Make, and Zapier for business critical processes, that you never miss an error, then error finds its way to the right person in the right place, in the right channel, at the right time. If they don't respond, we escalate it. So we essentially built pager duty for no-code integration tools and more tools on that front that we're going to be integrated with to come, which I'm super excited about. The next step of Switchboard is building out some other features of the of the DevOps suite into infrastructure that sits on top of all these no-code tools as well, but not only the integrators, but also places where data is living itself. And if we do that well, the result looks like no-code operations can grow because it can become multiple people's accountability, responsibility. It can grow in the same way that things look differently in a code base when it's just one developer versus 10. When only one person's being relied on for no code, it can only go so far. But if people can truly collaborate and make it a multiplayer experience that is safe and reliable, it kind of sky's the limit. So we want to enable that and we want to enable people to use the tools they're already using, not all be forced onto like the future we don't want to see is everyone being forced onto like one platform that like an all-in-one or everything has to be handed off to devs at a certain point. So that's what we're building in Switchboard. What inspired us to build it was just we had, you know, me and my co-founder Brent had faced this exact problem. Multiple companies that we were at where we really want to see no-code scale even more beyond just one person building and being responsible for it. And it's for like each of these tools, each of these vendors in the no-code space all have so much work to do from every angle that we believe, you know, that, uh, that there's a whole separate feature set here that they don't need to develop each in and of themselves. So yeah, did a ton of customer interviews, did a ton of consulting work, did all the things. And yeah, so now we've got a big meaty roadmap ahead of us. Love it. No shortage of challenges and opportunities ahead. When you think about the no code space five years from now, what looks different versus today? It was funny. I had a really good conversation with Wade as the CEO of Zapier about this. When I, was in, I was in Austin, I was at South by, and he said something along the lines of, I hope in the future, this thing is just called work. Like it's not called no good. And I don't love that. I was like, yes, you know, that to some degree, so many people are empowered to do this thing. It doesn't feel hyper-specialized because if you have a problem at your job that's solvable from a local level, but it could be impactful on a global level for your company, you should be, you should have the ability to build that and share it and use it as long as within certain guardrails and guidelines. Like think of how many CX folks out there know exactly what their company needs to do differently or not inspired or enabled to do it. Like it's a treasure trove of data. And so I think in five years from now, this stuff will be a lot less scary to people. I think that it will form its own kind of area of work that needs a lot of support that the question of, well, does it replace devs? I clearly think the answer is no, but like, I think the answer to that will be way more like obvious 
than it is right now. I think that it will start to really become more formalized to the degree in which you want to get involved in it at your company. There will be more formal paths to tackling it. That's a really inspiring vision. And I'd love to end on another inspirational note, which is if you had to offer one tip to people who were looking to build their careers in the no-code space, what would it be? I'll take that from two different ways. Like, let's say one, you're already working somewhere and two, you're kind of looking for your next thing. So if you're already working somewhere that works with data in some capacity, right? Like some type of company where you're in CX, you're in sales, you're in people, but you're not directly responsible for the technical side of the business. I would recommend finding a current problem that your team faces that solving it would both be impactful and that you are genuinely curious about getting approval from your manager to spend like 10, 15% time doing it. And then taking dummy data, so not like connecting it to your live company stuff, right? And exploring different freemium options to be able to solve that challenge and then show it back to your manager. Jaw will be on the floor. Oftentimes managers don't even know how far you get. Like I'll still never forget the day I sent a VP a text message from our onboarding system. It was like, yep, you have all the funding you need. <laughs> so I think there's that if you're right somewhere. If you're not and you want to dabble in the space and maybe explore like what it is to be a consultant or get hired full-time as a good operator somewhere, I would start looking at some of those tools that I listed earlier and, and just start building something. Just ask friends at small businesses like, hey, if you could like have something that does a thing that would be impactful for your business, what would that be? And just like build it. See how far you can go. What tutorials like, you know, no coders are just like coders in the sense that like, we don't know everything, right? We know the basics of stuff. We know where to look for stuff. Like we use tools like MakerPad and Google and all of these things, just like some people use Stack Overflow. And, you know, we know where to look for things, but we learn as we build or have new challenges. So give yourself some challenges that would be impactful to some folks that you know and start building. And you'll be shocked how fast you can get up to speed to the point where you're valuable as a consultant. Well, this was a really empowering message to folks. Thank you for offering your wisdom to a lot of people who I think will go and try to seize this opportunity and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Same here. Always good talking. <laughs>